Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Could have been a contender. Fasten your I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer, kid. All real America. Love is, is love. too weak a word. Stay back. I, I know you. I know I love you. I, I, I love you. I did as you saw. If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie! Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to The Shape of Water. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 108 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia, and joining me today for this jam-packed episode, I have Will Mavity. Hi, everybody. I also have Tom O'Brien. Hey there, everyone. Katie Schaefer. Hello, hello. Michael Schwartz. Hello, everyone. Ryan C. Showers. Hi. And joining us back from the Toronto International Film Festival, we have Beatrice Loiza. Hey, guys. Glad to be back. And she's not alone. Also joining us this week, we have a guest Someone who not only attended the Toronto Film Festival along with Beatrice, but also the Telluride Film Festival, we have Jorge Burnham, everyone. Jorge, how are you? Hi. All right, so good morning to all. And I want to just first start off by saying that I apologize to our listeners out there. We had some pretty big bombshell news from the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences last week that we failed to mention last week on air. Uh, Partly my fault because I was struggling to get through the episode as quickly as humanly possible so that I could buy some more tickets to the New York Film Festival when they went on sale at noon. So we were kind of rushing through things, but... Here we are today, and with so many great, wonderful, insightful people on, we can now talk about our thoughts on the big news that dropped this week. So, the Academy has announced that the Best Popular Film Oscar that was only announced a few weeks ago is not going to be handed out at this year's Oscar ceremony. It has been pushed off to probably next year, but we really don't know. It might be scrapped altogether. We don't know. So let's first start off with that, and then we'll also tackle some of the other points that they brought up first. So how does everyone feel about this decision? Honestly, it feels like it happened ages ago. You know, when you said we were talking about the big news today, I was like, what big news? What happened? Same. So, I mean, you know, I think some of us were expecting this. You know, it was such a terrible rollout, and they said they were going to be giving more information about the award before Labor Day. And when we didn't get any information before the fall festivals, that was sort of a sign that, oh, maybe things aren't so hunky-dory over at the Academy. And that turned out to be the case. I think this is probably the thing that won't die. Uh, ABC still probably has the same concerns. And if Black Panther doesn't get a Best Picture nomination, 
make you know this this thing is going to come back. Yeah, that'll be the test, I think. Seeing how well Black Panther could do without this, without the crutch, which is basically what it was, and that's why people found it so offensive. Dude, does anyone here still view it as a crutch? Like just the very fact that it was put out there into the world, and now it's on people's mind, and almost it's like a. It, it, it's, it almost, to me, feels almost like a guilt vote for Black Panther and it not so much based on merit anymore. No, I don't think that's – no. I I just think that they – this was probably an idea that, that has been brewing since The Dark, the dark Knight. Um, they released a, a half-assed statement um, that this was a – that was, this was in the works and, um, you know, it, there was huge backlash to it and they decided, hey, let's just – let's just count our chickens before they hatch and just kind of take a breather and plan a little better. And I don't think, you know, before I was, I was one that was kind of like, Oh, this is the black Panther award and blah, blah, blah. But I don't know. I think it goes, I think it's deeper than that now. And I just think, you know, we dodged a bullet this year. So, you know, we just need to stand our ground on our opinion about this and it will just continue to be pushed away. But I don't think it's just black Panther. I think, no, I don't either. They, they realize that we have probably three quote-unquote popular films that could get in this year between Black Panther, First Man, and A Star is Born, too. I mean, I think it was also just they're like, this is a stupid year to debut that award because probably three of the five nominees will also be Best Picture nominees. I mean, I hate to say this, too, but if you go back to previous Best Picture nominees of the last couple of years, I think we could all pick out three maybe four that would maybe contend for a category such as this so it it almost renders the whole thing stupid then don't you agree yeah i mean i think this year more so than some i think a star is born is probably going to be blockbuster level you know two three hundred million and stuff not every year i mean 2011 2000 14. I mean, there's plenty of years where there, I guess you had American Sniper there. But no, I wouldn't say that. I mean, like popular film, we were saying something that's over 100 million, and we don't have a lot of 100, three $100 million grocers in the best picture lineup every year. There's plenty of years we haven't had that. So there would be years when it, I guess, made sense. But. But what? I don't know. I, I, I'm I'm letting you fill in the gaps with your. <laughs> well, that was like I, that. That statement was almost as anticlimactic as the Academy's quick reversal on this decision. <laughs> well, I will say this: I had personally, when it came to the best popular film category, I had, I had kind of warmed up to it. Maybe it's because though, I had it already in my head what I wanted the category to be, and because I'm the one who came up with that idea for myself. Um, that was okay, and I'm sure I probably would have been mad all over again when the official rules were announced for it, but the thing that got me more upset than even the Best Popular Film Oscar was the decision to cut certain awards from the show, move them over during to the uh, commercial breaks, and then they're going to be edited in a a montage, which will be then shown to the audience watching it on, uh, on cable or whatever it might be at home, later on in the show and this to me is still um the most upsetting most disrespectful and honestly shameful uh decision that the academy has made and to add more fuel to the fire they have announced that anywhere from six to eight 
of the 24 categories will be pretty much lumped up together into this group and they will rotate them out every single year and you know kind of move some in some out i i just like i i don't even know where to begin with this still and i know that we talked about this a couple of episodes ago in more detail but hearing that it's that many categories it's like it's it's worse than i feared it's even worse than i feared and they said some years uh like it might even be the writing categories that are lumped in those six to eight, which is crazy. I mean, are you surprised with, you know, Hollywood treating writers terribly? <laughs> no, nobody's surprised that it's the writing categories. It's just so unfortunate that they're getting the shaft or will get the shaft, as it were. Well, let's see what uh, the WGA would have to say about that. <laughs> I, I, I don't like I said, I don't even know where to begin with this. And it's something that. You know, we've talked about before here on the show, and I think I think we're all in a mode of we know what's going to happen. It's inevitable. Let's wait and see how the show flows. If it feels empty and hollow, if it's a pacing disaster, whatever it might be, I'm sure we'll have thoughts about it after it airs. But until then, there's nothing that we can do to stop this. But if I had my way, I would rather best popular film exist than this. I agree. I think, and also the moving it, the moving the date forward is really going to screw things up. I think, in terms of the other shows and people being able to watch the movies in time, I think that's going to really, really impact the conversation around the, the voting. I, I'd be happy to have most popular film in, in exchange for not moving the date up. No, I like moving the date up. Oscar season is too long as is. I mean, this this might cause films that had momentum earlier in the season to win but i mean honestly everyone's exhausted when the oscars happen either the last week of february or the first week of march it makes more sense to condense everything when it's still more relevant to the previous year. I, I just kind of wish that the period that was more so shortened was like, you know, it's like we're going to have this weird time now where it's like, what, from the time nominations are announced, we're going to have three weeks, something like that, right? Until the show. I wish that period had stayed the same and the period before from the time that the, uh, you know, film festivals and everything else. Like, I wish they just had moved the nominations date um, back a bit, actually, to tell you the truth. Maybe closer to the end of the year instead of the end of January. But then you're going to run into these films that get released towards the end of the year that get screwed in the same way something might at the SAG Awards. You but know, everybody you in the industry sees them early anyway before and that's they're the released. Issue. Well, that's yeah. the issue with the earlier dates. Yeah, I don't know. That, that's something to look forward to for next year. Uh, that's not happening for this year, and that's going to definitely be top of mind, especially with, you know, who knows what's going to happen with Sundance next year and how that's all going to fall into play. Um, some of the other award shows, it's going to definitely be very condensed and just weird <laughs> in general. It's going to just feel weird. Hello, everyone. This is JD from the In Session Film Podcast. Each week, we review the latest from Hollywood, California. Well, yes, Brendan. We also give top three lists. Okay. Yeah. Thanks again, Brendan. Additionally, you can hear us talk other movie news, trailers, varying movie series, or other interesting film-related topics, and even rants and raves of the week. That's correct, Brendan. On top of our main show, every Friday, you can also hear our extra film podcasts. Good job, Brendan. 
Thank you, JD. It's my goal to make you proud. You're the father after all. <laughs> yes, and I'm very proud. Uh, you can listen to the In Session Film podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Brendan, will you please let me complete just one? Nope. Oh, for heaven's sake. Listen to the In Session Film podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's not how this works, sir. Hey, no, you, you, no, no, you no. go cry at Midnight Special again, oh, okay? That's oh, what you're I, I good will. for. I will. You know what? And I'll do it while pummeling you. I'll do both at the same time. How are you going to pummel me? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't buy that. That's just how <laughs> it works. Moving on now from the Academy's news this week, uh, let's talk about what's going on with this year's Oscar race. Let's talk about what went on at the fall film festivals at Telluride and at TIFF. What I would like to do is I'd like to start off first with our guest over here, Jorge. I'd like for him to talk about Telluride first. We'll then move over to Beatrice, who attended this year's TIFF, and uh, we'll have her talk about her experience, and then we'll come back to Jorge again uh, to add some extra commentary for TIFF. So, Jorge, tell us about what the experience was like over at Telluride and what you think, based upon what you saw, is going to have an impact in this year's Oscar race. Yeah, so Telluride um, is, I think, the best uh, film festival I've ever been to. Um, It's kind of a magical combination of a very beautiful setting and um, you know a group of people that are really really into and devoted to movies and the reason that I like film festivals the most is is that is that you're watching films um, you know in a big screen with fans that are reacting that are laughing and that are clapping or booing or whatever and you got a lot of that at Telluride so um, that is, it was just really fun so and this year uh, it was no exception I think you know Telluride is is starting to become a very interesting film festival where they kind of showcase a couple of movies that they just want to promote, that they like, uh, either because they like the actors or the producers. And I think The Old Man and the Gun was that movie this year where, you know, they, they showed that to the press and to the patrons uh, before the film the festival started, you know, on Friday morning. And, uh, you know, they, they do this whole thing where they don't announce their lineup before you get there. But, you know, people are pretty smart about it and they can guess what the lineup's going to be just by, you know, looking at how TIFF... Um, designates a movie whether it's a world premiere or a Canadian premiere you can kind of do the math and figure out what's going to be a Telluride so they they, they started with the old man and the gun and uh, you know the reaction to that wasn't great I mean it, it was just clearly a Robert Redford um, you know uh, just his swan song kind of movie um, Sissy Spacek was very good uh, but you know most people that I that I talked to were not very impressed with that movie uh, and then, you know, what's the other thing that's happening at Telluride is that a lot of the movies that they play actually ha- have screened a day or two before at Venice. And that's been a trend that has been increasing over the last few years. And, you know, this year they had First Man, Roma, and The Favorite uh, had just played at Venice, and they were probably the three best movies at Telluride. And I'm sure that annoys them that they couldn't say they have the world premiere. But, you know, nevertheless, they, they screened those movies. And uh, on Friday night, everybody was either deciding to go to First Man or to Roma. And... It's interesting because we all talk about the statistic about how Telluride has screened the Best Picture winner for, I think it's nine years in a row now. Yep. Um, and it's, it's you know, it's going to be interesting to watch this year. I mean, Roma, you know, I don't know if Beatrice saw it at, at TIFF, but I loved Roma. I mean, that was the first movie I saw. Like, I went to Roma, not to First Man, that first night because I'm a big fan of Coron. I grew up in Mexico. Like, I really wanted to, you know, see that movie. And I just, I loved it. But I have a really hard time seeing a movie like that win Best Picture. You know, black and white, Spanish, um, you know, moody, not a lot of action. If that, that, I mean, a movie like that wins, I will be stunned. I'm always wrong about what's going to win. So take it with a grain of salt. But 
Um, you know, I said the same thing about Moonlight. I just could never see something like that winning. But this is even more out there. Yeah, that seems my... like a good comparison. I was thinking about the Moonlight thing also, because when all those movies premiered, when you look at just what plays the Telluride, if you believe in that rule still, it seemed like First Man may have been something because it was the more accessible movie. People right. seemed to love it out of Telluride. But then the further away we got from it, when people moved over to Toronto, the buzz was all about Roma again. And usually when that happens, it's like, oh, well, then we should make that movie our front runner. But Roma is black and white, foreign, has so much going against it. But who knows? I mean, if they were able to do it for Moonlight, who knows what the Academy is starting to look like now? Wouldn't it be amazing, though, if um, because it is a Netflix release, if, you know, for all these reasons that we're saying it might not be accessible, if the most accessible streaming service on the planet somehow changed the public's perception of a movie like this to make this more accessible. Wouldn't, wouldn't that just be amazing? That's awesome. I know, right? And that's the great thing about having Netflix involved here, that they're going to get everyone around the world to see it. But before they release it in December, they're being very smart by putting it not just in the big film festivals like Telluride, Toronto, New York. They're bringing it to regional festi- festivals like in the middle of the country in Philadelphia Film Festival. I'm sure there's one in Atlanta, Will. You know, there's all these small little festivals that go on and it's going to be able to get an audience before it goes global. Well, it makes me wonder uh, too, actually um, there's been a lot of talk about with Roma in terms of seeing it on a big screen with Dolby Atmos sound. And I'm just not sure, uh, Jorge, if you can tell us, did they screen it like that at Telluride with yeah, they, uh, you know, yes. the sound? They do. The, uh, Telluride is, they Dolby is the sound that they use for all the screeners the screenings yes oh great okay so you got to see the full experience of the film essentially and i would look i know there's a lot of debate on online and everywhere about like whether you should see a movie in the big screen or on your phone the thing that i say about that is if you're actually watching the movie and not getting distracted when you're at home or on your phone and you're actually watching it and not checking your email or twitter and actually paying attention and then you know watch it however you want to watch it but i think part of the reason that some of us are very traditionalist is that you know the immersive experience is, at least for me, part of why I watch a movie. And when I watch at home, I, I, I tend to be distracted. Like, if you can actually watch a movie at home for two hours without being distracted, I, I, I admire that. I, I, that's impressive. Yeah. Uh, moving on then from uh, Roma, I, I guess I guess like one thing that we've all uh, – Will, you could probably comment on this. Michael, you too. I, you know, a bunch of us. Uh, we've been kind of going back and forth with our predictions over here based upon uh, word out, out of these festivals. And I want to know um, for, for Roma – and Beatrice, you can weigh in on this too if you'd like. Um, I think all of us have pretty much settled – on Roma winning best foreign language film because it's going to be Mexico's official Oscar submission. And a lot of us have Alfonso Cuaron winning uh, best director again, but you're right. Uh, some of us do not have it uh, winning best picture. Do you guys feel like that is almost a, um, like a fair compromise for the film in a sort of way? I don't know that it's a fair compromise, but I do think the fact that it's going to win another category, probably, unless they decide to mix it up and go with Cold War or something, is going to work against it. They're going to be like, oh, we've already, you know, we've already voted for it once. Uh, Rumor has it that Ang Lee was told, basically, that he was going to have to choose back in 2000 with Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and he said he'd prefer foreign film. So... You know, that is not rumor. Legend has it. But I I don't think it's a fair compromise, but I think it's going to happen. I also think that 
Moonlight may not be as much so good an example as Boyhood here, where I think you might run into a situation where Academy members more respect than love it. And, you know, because it's kind of a film that not all that some of them may not connect to, they may find it too slowly paced, et cetera, et cetera. I keep thinking of boyhood uh, that, when I that's think actually that's actually good. That's a good that's a good comparison. When you think of Roma, you think of boyhood. I hadn't thought of that, but I think that's I think Will's right. Yeah, that's actually an interesting comparison because it seems like it's going to be a top player and you have Link or Caron's going to be up for all these categories, just like Linklater was. So, yeah, rather than just think of it as this black and white, obscure foreign film, maybe put it in that context and see it as maybe not the big winner, but what's going to be the critics favorite and the one that gets talked about all year. Yeah, I could definitely. Exactly. I just want to know this, uh, Beatrice, is Roma like, would you say it's this year's critics film where it's going to win like majority of the critics awards and it's going to be in that like in that niche that that the critics niche almost and it's going to be hailed as i don't know one of the greatest films of all time you know masterpiece you know sort of sort of level yeah so i mean the first thing i should say is believe the hype when it comes to roma um i definitely was completely won over and it's currently my number one of the year and so naturally the top movie um, of tiff for me um, I, I do think that it's going to be loved by critics. It's not only is it an emotionally potent story about um, um, sort of a member of Mexican society that's usually not front and center, um, but formally it's a beautiful film. It's cinematography, the editing, just the whole look of it is absolutely breathtaking. Um, and so I think it definitely will be favored by critics on that end but is it but is it accessible though is it is it is it going to on the sliding scale for voting when it comes to best picture how do you feel it's gonna it's gonna stand uh with that right um it's definitely a little more on the art housey side but um i think that it will capture audiences that can see the beauty in the story i mean i as a Latina, I found myself ter- like tearing up s- during so much of it, um, especially as someone whose grandparents led stories not so different from the main character here. Um, so I think that audiences that will be able to tap into that will really like it. Um, but of course, it's not a particularly talkative movie, and um, it's in black and white, of course. So um, it's not as art housey as it might seem, but it's not exactly what you'd put in best popular movie <laughs> yeah um one last thing i want to ask about roman and we'll move on to other films that played at the festivals uh, i want to know about the acting categories i want to know if you guys believe um if uh what's her name her uh yelitza apricio i want to know if she's the real deal what do you what do you all say oh man i would say that's tough um she's very good she's she's good but I mean, you have obviously precedent precedent for, you know, Gavon Zane Wallace, like first time, you know, or, you know, breaking into the scene with a movie that everybody loved. But it's a tough category. Uh, and uh, I, I would say she has a shot. I would, I would definitely say she has a shot. I mean, the movie is about her. She's in almost every scene. Um, her performance is it doesn't seem she doesn't seem like she's acting. It just seems like she's, um, you know, being 
a real person and it's quite moving. So I would say yeah. she has a shot. So like in a Sasha Lane, American Honey sort of way? Yeah. I think yeah, it's exactly. going to be a little bit bigger I mean, than that because the movie's already in the yeah. conversation. No, no, no. I mean, I mean in terms of uh, the actor being more present and authentic. Oh, so not like a trained actor. You mean just like someone who right. comes in. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I you know think, what else it would be? I'm sorry, just is. really quick before we move on. It would be like a, what's the name from the best years of our lives? Uh, Harold Russell. Harold Russell. Yeah, Harold Russell or uh, Hang S. Nigor from uh, Killing, Killing Fields. Killing Fields. Yeah. Uh, moving uh, over to Best Actress uh, for a minute here. Uh, Want to talk about, uh, Jorge, you briefly touched upon The Favorite. And I've been, you and I have already talked about this off air. Uh, I want you to be able to tell everybody else. Lead supporting, what is going on there? What is your official take there yeah, with the right. ladies from The Favorite? So it's actually funny because after Roma, I watched Destroyer that night. That was my first night at Telluride. And I really loved Nicole Kidman. I'll, I'll get to The Favorite in a second. But um, so I think, you know, we definitely have to consider her. And we, we talked off air a little bit about how the movie not everybody likes the movie, and I think that uh, that's there's definitely going to be a little bit of criticism for it because the story, at least at first, and I don't want to spoil too much, but the story is a little bit off at first, but I think it works really well in the end. And she just, again, like every scene, and she's just killing it. Like she's just um, really, she really does a great job. So I, I would say Nicole Kidman also has a real shot. But the favorite is a very interesting question because, you know, if, if we're not... not doing category fraud, Olivia Coleman, who plays Queen Anne, is obviously the lead. I mean, the movie is about two women who are trying to curry favor with her. And honestly, if I had to if I had to vote and try to be as objective as possible, I would probably vote for her because of how good her performance is. And and I loved Nicole Kidman and I loved Lady Gaga. But Olivia Coleman is I mean, she's something else in that movie. It's funny, it's wicked, it's cruel, it's weird. Uh, she just has all the whole range of, of emotions and acting. Um, so I, that's, I mean, I think that if, if there were fairness in the world, you know, she'd be lead and the other two would be supporting. But, you know, star power being what it is, they might decide to do something else. I, I really don't know. I mean, certainly Raquel Weiss cannot, she won't be lead. Like, that's, that won't play. Like, she's, she's absolutely supporting. You could so it's going to be Stone argument. or Coleman in lead. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, exactly. And would you argue that if Coleman did go to supporting in the category fraud scenario, think of um, Alicia Vikander in the Danish Girl scenario, would yeah. you argue that that is like a surefire win for Searchlight? I mean, I think so, given that I, I, don't, I can't think of who would beat her right now. I mean, I, I have to go down the list, but um, I mean, that movie's going to win Oscars, I think. I, I just, and I think the acting is, well, I mean, it's it's a little bit hard for some people. And kind of to pick up on a thread from earlier, if you believe this whole idea that, you know, the Telluride Film Festival screened the Best Picture winner, I'm really scratching my head for which one it is, because we've already talked about Roma, and then we already mentioned that First Man it played very well at Venice and at Telluride, but certainly people have kind of taken a step back and been like, okay, it's good, but not the best thing I've ever seen. And the favorite is just, it's too weird. I mean, it's Yorgos Lanthimos and it's, you know, it's, it's a strange movie. So I, I don't know what else is going to win best picture that came out of Telluride, but I do think that the favorite is going to win some Oscars. So yeah, I was going to say some Oscars. So, I mean, production design, costume design, yeah. I would say it's near the top of the list for those two. Um, a lot of us have it predicted for best original screenplay. What do you feel about that? I, it's a great screenplay. I mean, I, I honestly, just thinking about it, it brings a smile to my face. Like I was laughing the Aww. entire time. Things were just out of left field, completely strange, bizarre things. And, you know, again, not, you know, the Telluride is an interesting audience because 
because it is an older audience. Like it is a lot of, um, it's a lot of older people, and a lot of them did not like the favorites uh, for for those reasons. But I think that the younger crowd um, is is going to be really into it. I think there's a coastal divide a bit when it comes to the favorite, where when you premiere it at Telluride, you're getting a lot of not Midwesterners, but like West Coasters coming out to their ski resort or whatever's yeah. out there, uh, Colorado. Oh, yeah. Whereas when this movie premieres at Lincoln Center in a few weeks, you know, I don't live in New York, but I know the Lincoln Center types very well who go to these like premieres at the New York Film Festival. And it seems like a very theatrical movie made for that type of audience. It's a good point. Uh, sticking with Best Actress, Melissa McCarthy, can you ever forgive me? I don't know, can we? So at Telluride, <laughs> at Telluride, I actually talked to her for a while. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'll send you the picture. I didn't want to post it on social media, but I, you know, we like talked at the Fox Searchlight party, and she's really, really funny. And she's going to be doing the awards game this year, like Emma Stone yeah. did it. And she's going to be at every party, and she has some very funny jokes. And I don't know if they're you know prepared or not, but like she, you know, laid them all on me and on everybody else about like the cat in the movie she is such a much better actor than she is. And she, you know, effed up every line and the cat nailed every line. So everyone's laughing. And I think that's going to help her. I mean, the performance is good. And I, I, I loved her performance. Um, but it's a crowded field and it helps if it's a crowded field to like go and, and you know, kiss the babies and make everybody laugh. So I would say she definitely has a shot. OK. And Richard E. Grant. Absolutely. I mean, we category. He is great in the movie. Um, you know, people know him and and respect him. I, I think he's absolutely in. And the last thing I want to ask about with Can You Ever Forgive Me? And I know a lot of us um, feel this way based upon reactions. Uh, if you could confirm for us, picture and director, um, the 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 response for this movie was more enthusiastic than a lot of us were anticipating. Um, are our expectations in the right place or, we sh- or should we be tempering them down? Yeah, that's a, fu- that's a good question. Um, and you could actually ask that same exact question about Boy Erased. And I think one of the things that happens, and you, you see this on Twitter happening like in real time, people go to film festivals and when a movie is kind of like a pretty good movie, maybe even a great movie, but you don't know, like, you don't know exactly what to think, I think it's easier to say, hey, well, this is a great movie. I mean, obviously these, these intelligent Telluride um, you know, people pick the movie. These these curators pick this movie. It must be a great movie, and people will default into saying masterpiece, amazing, you know, um, best picture, whatever. And I think Can You Ever Forgive Me and Boy Raced are two movies that I can see going either way. Um, I liked both movies. I think they're incredibly enjoyable, very well made. One of them is very important and sad. Um, and I could also I could also see people just being like, eh, you know, this is more a a kind of rom-com series type movie. And and I really don't mean to say that to demean either of them, but neither of them has kind of a explosive, something like Three Billboards or Get It Out or like Shape of Water, something that really is out there. They're, they're kind of actually fairly conventional movies, maybe is the word I'm looking for. Cool. So more Battle of the Sexes than, than you know, Three Billboards. Mm. So, um, Jorge, can I ask, um, if you had to guess right now between... Um, the favorite aroma, and I guess, can you ever forgive me? Which, um, how would you rank them in terms of their chances to win best original screenplay? Uh, can you ever forgive me? Is adapted. Oh. oh, okay. Well, between Roma, I was just trying not to like condense it so so much. But um, if you could just um, do Roma and the favorite, which do you think has the better chance? I think the favorite. I mean, the favorite. 
yeah, I would think the favorite. I mean, Roma, there's, you know, there's not a lot of dialogue. So um, it's, it's a very quiet movie. Like, it's more like the, you just, like, watch people doing things. So I would say the favorite is, like, like a lot of dialogue. What, what would you say is the other, like, main contender? I mean, I can't, I can't think of one, so I would definitely say... It's probably the unseen Cheney movie. Yeah. Mm. Vice, yeah. Um, okay, so we talked about Boy Erased, Can You Ever Forgive Me? Last film that premiered uh, at tele, uh, well, it didn't premiere, premiered at Venice, but First Man. Uh, so I, 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 I need to know because uh, famously, um, uh, just, I'm talking about expectations here. Our expectations were low for First Man, and then it has this wildly enthusiastic response out of Telluride that, I mean, good lord. It seems like Damien Chazelle has not only hit it out of the park, but it seems like it has gone beyond the park, beyond the parking lot, and <laughs> he could be going back to the podium again. It sounds like based upon these reactions. So, um, I need to I need to know. I, I just need to know what is going on with this movie. Again, it's one of those examples of people get really excited. They watch it with an audience that's very excited, and it's a really awesome, exhilarating feeling. And then they tweet their reactions, and then two days later they're like, oh my god, did I just go home with that person kind of thing? You know, like, let's take a step. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the fir- first man is great. I loved it. I mean, the, again, the first hour, the first half, is a very conventional movie. Um, <clears throat> you know, you're following this guy and what's happening. It's almost like you're watching, like, a toned-down version of Armageddon. <laughs> Oops, I mean, that's not, I know that's not flattering, but, but then when you get to the exciting part, it is so good. I mean, the music, the cinematography, the shots that he does, it's, I don't, I don't know how he comes up with these ideas in his head. I asked him at the party at TIFF, like, does he envision them? Is it his collaborators? And he's like, I, he's like, I just kind of, this is how I envisioned it happening, so I just put it on the screen. And it's, it's, it's quite amazing to see as an achievement in filmmaking what he does with the whole movie landing and all of that. I, that part, I think, is, is, is just stupendous. And I keep hearing that, too, but that sequence is so riveting and really engaging, and I can, I just keep t- thinking to myself, like, alright, the ship lands and he takes his steps on the moon, and I just, okay. I'm having a hard time wrapping my mind around what makes it so incredible, and I've been told um, 50-50 that there is uh, an emotional core to the story um, and what Neil Armstrong is going to that audiences can connect with. But then I've also heard another version of that story that says that it's too cold, it's too detached, and Ryan Gosling's performance is uh, too reserved uh, for us to be able to emotionally connect to the story. So where do you fall with that and how it also could benefit or hurt Ryan Gosling's chances in Best Actor? Yeah, I think it's the former. I think I, I was into the emotional core, and I, I was very resistant at first, but... You know, the more I talk it up, the more I, I you know, I don't want, want to set the expectations too high because I know how how much that can damage a movie. Um, but, you know, there is an emotional core to the story. I won't spoil it, but, you know, it, it kind of all coalesces when he's on the moon. And and the, again, the music is it's just soaring and beautiful. And it worked for me. I think that I think Ryan Gosling gives his best performance uh, in, a, in a little while. So I think he has a good shot of a nomination. I don't think anyone's going to be Bradley Cooper, but I think think he has a really good shot of a nomination well speaking of bradley cooper let's now transition over to tiff beatrice i want to hear about some of the movies that you saw at tiff take us through uh your experience there and let us all know uh what the details are on some of the big profile contenders that you got a chance to say sure so this was my first time at tiff and it was absolutely amazing i loved it it was so amazing to be 
um, in that atmosphere so many movie lovers and getting to see all these films. Um, and what's so great about TIFF is that you're not um, only seeing the the big movies getting primed for the Oscars, but you're also um, getting to see some movies by international auteurs and some indie movies, some small foreign movies. So I got a good mix of everything. Um, but for our purposes, um, just to go off of what we were discussing about the old man and the gun. I did get to see that. Not a big fan of it. Um, not to say it wasn't fun and Robert Redford isn't amazingly charming, but coming off of a ghost story, which was one of my favorite movies of last year, this just felt so safe and forgettable. For, for it seems like Lowry. a rock. Yeah, it was, it was fun. Um, there just was nothing particularly memorable about it for me. I mean, it's a well done heist movie and a lovely send off to Redford, but I don't know. The whole thing just felt too structured around honoring Redford's legacy. Don't they uh, use the old footage of him from his younger years? In yeah, movie? Yes. that's right. Yeah, I was watching yeah. something. They had a segment on CBS Sunday morning where they talked to him and it just seemed like it was uh, trying to appeal to, you know, that art house crowd, you know, suburban 60s. We remember Redford from the sting in the way we were. So I, I see what Fox Searchlight is trying to do. And it's very smart on their part, but I don't think it's going to be an Oscar thing. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, he might have a chance for a Golden Globe um, if they rally around the whole yeah. It's going to be the baby Wall boomers Street. matinee. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. certainly. Um, Sissy Spacek was also good, but like I said, nothing particularly new or dramatically deep, just charming. Um, and then as for Casey Affleck, he was fine, but there were parts of it where I felt like he was sleepwalking. Um, very low-key role. So those are my thoughts on The Old Man and the Gun. Holy, wholly agree with you. Everything you said. Yeah. Um, so to go on to another disappointment, um, I also saw The Front Runner. One cool thing, Hugh Jackman was at my screening. There was a Q&A. And he's as charming as you can imagine. Um, as for the movie, uh, it was quite underwhelming for me. Uh, the story was ambitious, but ultimately it came out feeling convoluted and unfocused. And I think there are some questions that the movie raises that will resonate with the times, but it doesn't execute them as it should. And so ultimately it felt kind of gray and uninteresting um, though Hugh Jackman was still great he does a fine performance but the movie doesn't really focus on him as much as it should uh, I'm, I'm almost ready to take him out and replace him with um and Jorge tell me if tell me if you think I, sh I should or shouldn't uh, I'm ready to take Hugh Jackman out and put Lucas Hedges for Boy Race in there Ooh, that's a good one. I mean, you know, Beatrice and I might might be the same person because I also agree with everything she said about that movie. <laughs> um, she, you're so right, though. Like, again, that movie played at Taylor Ride. People walk out and they're like, oh, my God, it's the best movie ever. And then 10 minutes later, you're like, that movie is actually kind of a mess. Um, but whether it's him or Lucas Hedges, oh, wow, I don't know. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll get back to you on that one. Well, Lucas Hedges, you know, he has the two movies this year, Boy Erased and Ben is Back. And I yes, think I saw better responses than Ben is Back. Yeah, but I think, I feel like Ben is Back is a prime example of one of the ones Orhe's talking about where, like, the initial reactions are great. And now the ones I've been seeing since that first day of its premiere 
have been increasingly mixed and muted now. I I would agree with that, but I think that also speaks to how people feel about Boy Erased, which is that, yeah, people like it, but it's like, is anyone passionate about this movie or his performance? Because I keep hearing that he's lost in the shuffle, that the supporting characters are more interesting than Hedges is. I think that's true. I think that's so, true. But, yeah, but, wow. but, the, but the supporting characters are not very well known. So, well, I guess, you know, Russell Crowe, actually, I think has a really good shot at a nomination. Yeah, I and as the uh, supporting the seems to dwindle, he might rise up there. What I didn't lead, though, and uh, one of you who was at uh, Toronto might know more about this movie, I put uh, Viggo Mortensen in for Green Book because people seem to really respond to that one. Oh, I was waiting for Green Book. Beatrice, did you see Green Book at Toronto? No, I, I actually missed it. I was only at Toronto for five days, actually. So I oh. stuffed 17 movies into that <laughs> oh time. You didn't have time for the Peter Fairley movie? <laughs> no. <laughs> Unfortunately not. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm just going to say, Book? like, Green Book, people are going to love it. It might win the people's choice. In fact, I think they're going to be announcing that in about 20 minutes. Okay. Um, I... I have a lot of problems with that movie. I don't want to like, you know, cause any controversy or anything like that. But I have a lot of problems with like the white racist savior character as someone that I should care about in 2018. Oh, I thought it was a great character in Driving Miss Daisy in 1989. Um, but people love it still. And there were standing ovations at my screen. At the, I was at the world premiere. People loved it. I mean, they were over the top. They just loved Loved it. Viggo Mortensen is funny. He speaks with a Brooklyn accent, Italian, and, and he, you know, he he curses and he says "baffanculo" and he says "fazzo" fifty times, and he uses his hands and and he eats. Uh, so he's he eats getting fried chicken and, Yeah, he eats fried chicken and he tells Maharshal Ali he needs to eat more fried chicken, and it, people think that's funny. So he's going to get nominated. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, okay, so here's my thing with Green Book, and I, I'm definitely a little bit more reserved on it than, than others are, and that's only because um, I, I don't know, like, how far the, you know, the, the mainstream um, safe, uh, you know, adult dramas typically go until, you know, they go pretty far, like, say, something like Hidden Figures, which gets three Oscar nominations, including a Best Picture nomination. Um, that's how I kind of see green book right now is i see that as the film that gets the screenplay acting and the best picture nomination and acting on more leaning towards mahershala ali because of the honeymoon period with moonlight and um i've heard that he's really really fantastic here as well but you can get both they're in two different categories i understand that don't get me wrong i totally understand and i do think vigo has a better shot now that best actor has kind of opened up a little bit more for sure I don't know. I mean, like in Jorge, obviously you saw the movie and and such. Like, uh, just between the two, Vigo and Mahershala, do you think they have an equal chance to get nominated? Do you think one has a better chance than the other? Like, where where are you leaning with that? Yeah, I think I mean, they're both very good in the movie. They're very good actors. Um, I think Vigo's performance is more like the showy, look at me kind of performance. So I think he would probably have a higher chance. Also, even though they're both leads, I think probably Mahershala, they, they just put him in supporting to not compete with him. So... I think they both have a pretty good shot, but I would say Vigo has a better shot. And I, and you know, at the Golden Globes, that's going to be a comedy, I'm sure. So, like, that's kind of a given. Mm. Mm, that's a good point. Okay, uh, continuing Beatrice. Um, let's see. I saw Fox Flux, which is oh. what I like to call the evil twin to A Star Is Born. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's, of course, has Natalie Portman in it, though she's in it. 
for a surprisingly small amount of time, uh, given how much they seem to be advertising it along the Natalie Portman um, as a Natalie Portman like showcase. Like Mamma Mia. Here, here we go again. Yeah. <laughs> or, um, I, I think the comparison that Will made that I, I really liked a lot was Dev Patel and Lion. Yeah, um, though this movie is a little shorter, so and her scenes are even more intense. So the fact that she's just in there for a sprint, it has a good effect, I think. But uh, this isn't a light pop star movie. It gets dark really fast. The movie tackles a lot of ambitious themes, and it's shot with an eye towards experimentation, which for me really paid off. Um, the final product was a bit clunky, um, but Brad Brady Corbett um, was definitely Bradley Cooper. There you go. Really, is the evil twin? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had marbles in my mouth as I was saying his name, but he's definitely a director to look at for in the future. Um, I think he has a unique vision and a desire to innovate. Um, though I think this movie will be a little divisive. Um, I appreciated the effort to present something new. Um, Natalie Portman. Is of course the standout here. She's this unhinged pop star, Celeste, with traumas that she wears on her sleeves and all sorts of problems. Um, I think she'll definitely be uh, in the awards conversation if they run her under supporting actress. I don't think they are, but they should because she's only in it for 30 minutes. What about original song? Oh, yeah, the music. So... I thought the music was awesome. There were so many songs that I could imagine them running with. Because it goes back to the subject matter of the movie, right? Like, are they going to go for a film like this, you know, outside of Portman? Right. Um, I mean, the music is by Sia, and I already want to buy the soundtrack. It's some, there's some pretty good songs on there. Um, I'm not sure, though, if they're going to try to run several or try to pick one. It would be a hard choice for me. Hmm. Jorge, did you see Vox Lux? Oh my God, no. After 50 movies, that's the one that I missed. Sorry. <laughs> I tried. There were like so many, you know, like I had friends there and they really wanted to go see Greta. And I was like, oh, it's conflicting with Vox Lux, but I can take a break from like the Oscar sprint. I went and saw Isabel Pair go crazy instead. <laughs> well, Jorge, I need to ask. <sighs> you know, in 1997, there was this little movie called Titanic <laughs> that just won the hearts of everyone in America, captured the box office, swept the award season. Are we heading for that with A Star is Born? No, 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 no. <laughs> no. Oh, yeah, I don't know where no this kind of thing is coming from. You forget Leo. You forget Leo. Like, Leo was such a big... This movie big has Lady Gaga. Yeah, but a lot of people... <laughs> Are you kidding? <laughs> but a lot of people really dislike her. A lot of people resist her because they think that she's an act. So she's going to face resistance i i think mm. remember when she performed at the oscars the sound of music medley and there were people that absolutely loved her and others who were like get off the stage you know yeah that hasn't yeah. gone away that's that was only three years ago and as great as yeah. she is in this movie and seems prime for a nomination and all of that i'm sure she's great i just don't see it being like this huge win that everyone's getting ready for like she's even not, when Cher won, win. When she she's talked, win. that was a totally different situation Cher had been a previous acting nominee for a straight drama, and here she was doing comedy. She didn't have all these big ballads in Moonstruck. The big thing there was that she had a total transformation into this Italian widow. So just because Lady yeah. Gaga takes off her makeup doesn't well, mean... Gaga that... is a Golden Globe winner for American Horror Story, don't forget. Uh, yes, a Golden Globe winner. Let's not forget that. <laughs> yeah, she's not going to win. I don't, I, I, there you go. It all comes full circle. <laughs> I, I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say so. I loved, loved her performance, but she's not going to win. All right, that's fair. 
Uh, Bradley Cooper, is he going to win? You know, I think kind of by default. I mean, I know that it's very rare, and you guys will know the stats more, but only I can only think of like Roberto Benigni directing himself to an Oscar acting win. Um, but I don't think they care about that. I, I just think he's he's really good. I mean, he's had three nominations where a lot of people really respect him now. And, and um, I, I think he's really, really good in the movie. I mean, he he does the whole voice thing, and and you know he is kind of the central character for at least three quarters of it. Um, and I mean, and I think the movie is going to get a Best Picture nomination. There's no question about that. I think it's very well made. It appeals, you know, it's easy. It's an easy movie. It appeals to all sorts of audiences. Um, and Bradley Cooper is pretty good. So I would I would put him right now as the, the kind of de facto front runner. Mm. Sam Elliott. Uh, you know, what, how do you feel about him and supporting? Speaking of evil twin. Yeah. He's, but Sam Elliott, you know, it doesn't Sam Elliott, like, do some commercials because his voice is, like, this deep voice for, I think, like, anyway, I mean, so Bradley Cooper basically copies his voice, and he was talking about this at the premiere, like, this is what he was going for. Um, so, yeah, I think that's going to help Sam Elliott, and he's, he's, he's pretty good in the movie, so I think he definitely has a shot. I still, right now, I would say it's between, um, you know, Can You Ever Forgive Me and Boy Erased for supporting actor. For wow. a nomination, I think... Well, can I ask, so um, do you think Nicole Kidman has a better shot for Destroyer and Lead or Boy Erased in supporting? In terms of winning or getting nominated? Nominated. Like, nominated. Um, maybe probably supporting and Boy Erased only because that movie is going to, you know, again, there's fewer uh, contenders. And I think that movie is going to be easier for people than Destroyer. It's, you know, no one's going to dislike Boy Erased. Um, some people are going to be very passionate about it. Some people are going to be just neutral, but some people are, are going to dislike Destroyer. So, what about the other boy movie with Timothy Chalamet in supporting? Uh, that movie's so bad. <laughs> that movie's so bad. It's such a waste. It's so. I mean, it's such a good, compelling like story, but it just just kind of does this weird thing. Um, I, I guess Timothy has a shot. I mean, he, if so, if you're talking about these addiction movies. It's a lot. It's a lot better actually than Venice Back because they actually show him like with track marks and shooting up and like it's really disturbing. So um, yeah, he might have a shot. What about I Steve think that, Carell? That movie's gonna. Yeah, should we just should we just squash our dreams and hopes of Steve Carell getting a nomination for that? Well, I have him in there. I have him <laughs> over Hugh Jackman. Yeah, you're gonna have to wait and see like what the reactions are, right? Like you know, people were saying again, the the, the film festival effect. People watch White Boy Rick and they were like, best movie ever. I was like. No, this movie sucks. Now it's what fifty percent of Rotten Tomatoes, <laughs> and that movie's this weekend. Not going to get. We just reviewed it on the podcast, and we were not happy about it either, right, Katie? <laughs> no, aggressively fine. I'm going with Josh. One with that statement. <laughs> so I think we agree, right? That movie's not going to get any nominations, right? Like Matthew McConaughey's good, but the movie just didn't do well, and so no. I, if I'm correct, that Beautiful Boy is going to kind of you know land with a thud. That's just going to kill the chances for the actor and the screenplay or whatever. But I could be wrong. Yeah, well, when, when you look at lead actor with Steve Carell, you know, the only reason I have him in for Beautiful Boy right now is because once you get past him on the list, you have the two Lucas Hedges performances, which we already talked about, Hugh Jackman, Ethan Hawke, Robert Redford, Willem Dafoe. I mean, Gosling? You don't have Ryan Gosling? No, he's already in the top. I'm, uh, the top four is pretty settled for me. Oh. Like, I'm talking about okay, second tier. It. And then you have, like, Willem Dafoe, maybe Rami Malek, if that turns out to be anything. Like, Steve Carell just seems like a safe choice for the time being, because even though the film wasn't well-received, he and Chalamet got the standout notices. Yeah, it could, I could see that. And he, people like him, so. Lucas Hedges, uh, Boy Erased, or Ben is Back, as far as which one is the better Oscar play for him? Boy Erased. 
boy raced. Okay, got it. How about Julia and Ben is back? You know, she's. I love her. I love her so much. But they give her a Pretty Woman script and like mm. a movie about addiction. Like she says all these like cute little things and like she tells people off and then she snaps her fingers and you know waves her hair around and you're like, oh my god, this is hilarious. But this. This is not what this this movie's about a kid who's like addicted to drugs and alcohol. You know, yeah, it seems much. like the reactions <laughs> so. on that one really went from oh my god, it's great to oh holy <laughs> <laughs> You're never gonna get me ever to say anything negative about Julie Roberts. I mean, I love her to death. I grew up with her, but that movie, you know, dot dot dot. Okay, so maybe she is like the surprise SAG best actress nominee, and then you don't see her before right. or after actually that's a good that's a good comparison like the sarah silverman and the girl I the, was it the girl on the train or what was it girl on the train or yeah what? girl on the train well, i smile back she woman in gold sag, she showed up everywhere yeah he was like hillary swank for conviction yeah there you go uh beatrice you saw a couple of films that could be contending this year for the uh foreign language film oscar um, was there anything in there that we should be keeping our eye on? Because, you know, this early in the season before we've gotten some of our official submissions, um, we, sometimes we don't know, like, which films to be watching out for, which ones not to be. Um, so what was your take on uh, some of the films you saw at TIFF that uh, could be in contention there and are ones to look out for? Yeah, so um, I saw a movie called Dogman, which is directed by Matteo Garone, who did Gamora, and that was Italy's submission for Best Foreign Picture back in 2008, and it was nominated for the Golden Globes um, that year. Um, and I thought this was even better than Gamora. So it's sort of a, starts as a social realism type film, and it sort of devolves into something much more exciting and captivating a huge crowd pleaser everyone in my theater was at the edge of their seats and um the lead marcelo fonte he won the the con best actor award he's absolutely terrific oh wow yeah and i think that it's one of those movies that you know perhaps not many people will see because it's a foreign picture but you should it's really captivating and exciting and dark um so i think that is might already no it's not officially the italian submission for best foreign picture they have yet to release that but i think that we should be on the lookout for Dogman. and then actually also, italy has a tough choice right because they have that i, I love that movie but they also i also really like the movie called loro about berlusconi and that's they're, i think they're deciding between those two and oh, both are, are really really good yeah i also saw I loro i so. didn't like it that much <laughs> i thought it kind of I just love uh, the whole Donald Trump. I mean, he's, he's basically playing Donald Trump. Yeah. It's just oh, that's the one yeah. from the guy who did The Great Beauty, right? Yes. Yep. yes. yep. Okay, um, yeah. He could yep. use a comeback after youth. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Laura was, yeah, it was definitely interesting on that end, the political personality deep dive, but uh, there were just times where it felt like a weird, misogynist music video to me, so... Yes. Well, that's that's, that's well, Berlusconi's entire like life. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, for me, Dogman... Yeah. So, we've got an interesting uh, thing going on there with Italy's potential submission. Um, other than that, I also saw uh, Burning, which is by Lee Chang-Dong. I'm seeing it next week. I'm so excited. Oh, it was so good. And... Uh, I think this is already officially the South Korean entry for for the foreign language picture. It was beguiling and uncomfortable and beautiful and a stunning turn for Stephen Yeun, who uh, is of the Walking Dead fame. And it also has me thinking if 
anything. This is just the beginning for Stephen Young with this movie, Burning, and Sorry to Bother You. I see really great things for him in the future. Mm. So that was also, I think, something to look out for. And finally, um, I saw what is already officially the Colombian entry, uh, a movie called Birds of Passage. Oh, I hear that's good. Uh, it was so good. Um, it's directed by Ciro Guerra and Cristina Gallego, who did Embrace of the Serpent two years ago. Oh, that's yes. awesome. That's yes. gorgeous. Is it, it black was, and white again? No, it's not. <laughs> it was awesome. It was visually one of the most beautiful films that I saw at TIFF. And it's like an indigenous gangster movie sprinkled with magical yeah. realism. Yes. It was yeah. it was really good. I hope they use that as like their critic quote on the trailer. <laughs> yeah. An indigenous I, I, gangster I'm, movie. It was so, so I'm still cool. About, I'm, still, I'm still on the misogynistic music video. I really want to use that quote, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Beatrice, I have to ask, did you see High Life? I did. Um, what lots of semen, right? <laughs> yeah, I actually was there for the premiere because I am a huge Claire Denis stan, and I just forked over that money. <laughs> um, yeah, it is It is definitely going to be on the top ten list for me of the year. It's what? weird and erotic, and it completely rejects trying to make sense, uh, which is a difficulty <laughs> that Cindy is known for. Uh, but here, she really takes it to scary philosophical levels. Um, I think people will be inclined to compare this to Tarkovsky and Under the Skin and other beguiling sci-fi movies, but this is pure Denis. To be short, there's something called a fuck box in this movie. So that's <laughs> just a small sample of what you're getting into. Oh my God, I'm seeing this movie in two weeks. <laughs> Matt, this is not what we call a short See. film, by the way. No, not no. at all. <laughs> I just don't know what I'm getting myself into when I see it now. <laughs> Everything oh you've said is like my entire jam, so I am so excited. For this I movie. think people will love it. Some people will absolutely hate it. And my screening, tons of people walked out because they just they just couldn't with it. <laughs> I think just to be clear, though, there's a fuckbox scene where Juliette Binoche goes absolutely crazy and it's just something you'll never forget it's like a short film within the film essentially yeah yes exactly (laughs) oh my god this sounds incredible um okay so i want to just pass it off now at this point to uh final thoughts uh because i do have a transition set up so uh final thoughts anything else you guys want to touch upon about the festival um jorge i have a feeling there are two pretty pretty big contenders by former oscar winners uh, that you would like to maybe touch upon for us, uh, give us some clarity. And that is if Beale Street could talk in widows. Yeah, and I, I also, if you don't mind, I would add a couple of thoughts on the foreign language. Sure, sure. Because I saw also shop. I saw Shoplifters, and I saw Cold <gasps> War, and I saw the um, I saw the Canadian movie, which is actually really good. By the, and I think it's by the guy who did the Barbarian Invasions, and it's called The Fall of the American Empire. Um, there's a a lot of really good stuff in foreign in foreign cinema this year. I agree that um, the Birds of Passage is really good. The Korean movie is really really good, and you know people should definitely make an effort to see those if they can because they they just it's just really different perspectives on the world than the American perspective, and it's really refreshing. And I hope all of these movies kind of make it to the short list so that people pay attention to them. So in terms of Widows and Beale Street, um, I loved Beale Street Could Talk. I was at I was at that premiere and. And it's, you know, it's a very, it's kind of like a lyrical poem, just like 
the book is. Uh, and it's beautiful. The, the, the music is amazing. The story is just really touching and moving. And what's great about it is that it's a little bit like Moonlight, but not. Like Moonlight is a very personal story, and it's not trying to say a lot beyond the personal story. And I think Beale Street Could Talk has a lot of tints of that, but at the same time, it is actually making some important social commentary about the criminal justice system and you know things that are were relevant to James Baldwin then and, and sadly are still relevant today. And I, I think it's great. I don't. I, I'm not quite sure about its Oscar chances, uh, only because you know it's kind of a moody film. But I I would love to see it in the race. I would certainly support a best picture nomination for Beale Street Could Talk. I just he's such a good filmmaker. Um, everything is so well done and so exact and you just kind of get lost into the movie um, and, and all of the beautiful things that he puts together. Um, Widows, I think it's going to be a little bit of a tougher self for people. I think that um, Viola Davis is amazing. Uh, and it's what I loved about Widows and I was telling people is that you're watching a movie you've seen 150 times before about like gangsters and criminals, but you know, the people have to worry about like the babysitter or about the mother-in-law and it's because it's women but that's just it's so it's such an easy thing to change and it's so good though because it's like actually different than the movie you've seen 150 times but that doesn't make the movie great necessarily i think that there's a little bit of story problems with it where just things kind of happen and you're not necessarily understanding why the characters are behaving this or that that way so i, I could certainly see it getting in it wouldn't be a bad nomination you know best picture wise but i, I don't know that i would vote for it for Best picture, I think it's you're breaking Matt's more heart right now. Sorry, <laughs> I think it's more. I just think it's a little more conventional. But it's. I, I had a great time. Viola is great, but it's actually what's her name, Elizabeth. Elizabeth Tabecki. Tabecki, yeah, she's really good in it. I, they're all all so good in it. I mean, the, the the women in that movie are awesome, and it's it's just kind of movie that you just want to like cheer on and clap. And I, I, you're gonna like it, Matt. But I don't know about best picture. We'll see. What about Daniel Kaluuya? Oh yeah, people are saying Daniel Kaluuya. Yeah, I mean he's really good in it, but like that's one of those where it would be like, what was it, where like the white writers got nominated for, for Straight Out of Compton or something like that? Like, I mean, the women, it's about the women. So I know it's tougher for them because there's a, you know, more competition. He's, he's great. He's deserving. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be measured like that, obviously. But um, I think it will raise some eyebrows if he's the lone nomination for that movie. Hmm. Well, I, I got to say, I'm going to now root for it not to get nominated for Best Picture all season just to hear more of those Hmm. From that. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Uh, we'll we'll see. We'll see. I still have I still have high hopes, but you know we'll we'll see. Are you a big Steve McQueen fan? Is that what it is? I'm a huge Steve McQueen fan, uh, and not only that, but I I do feel like the I I advocate for anytime there is a commercial play in the Oscars, um, or a genre bias towards something. I I, I always like to root for those films to break through. So which this yeah. is why Hereditary and Widows are like my jam this season. Or like basically. the town. It's like this movie is like the town. Was it did that get nominated? Or it was close? No, it didn't just get nominated. Just supporting actor. Huh. Yeah, Jeremy okay. Renner. Which I was thinking could be the case here where it's just Daniel Kaluuya that gets in for supporting actor. But the more that I read about Widows, it seems like the type of thing that could also get a cinematography or a sound editing, something like that. Yeah, oh, for sure. Maybe more like a Sicario kind of a yeah. reaction to where yeah, Sicario you know, with like an extra acting nomination. Score. How's the score, Ori? Uh The score, um, I don't remember it. So, <laughs> I, you know, and I do remember <laughs> scores. I mean, it's just for me, the Beale Street score in the 
first man score are my favorite two of my favorites this year Th- those seem like the two uh to beat this year in terms of like they're gonna go head to head again unless, <laughs> unless thomas newman's at asterisk score is like oh fuck yeah exactly uh, which, by the way, I feel very, very strongly with some of the releases we're getting over the next couple of weeks. Things like First Man, for example. I have a feeling we're going to get a trailer pretty soon. Mm. I have a feeling. Um, all right, so I actually want to finish off with this film and then transition over to the polls. So, The Sisters Brothers. Can anyone tell me about uh, Jacques Adard's, uh latest film starring John C. Riley and Joaquin Phoenix? You can oh, tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, actually, Beatrice, did you see it? Yeah, I did. Oh, go, go ahead, go ahead. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I absolutely loved it. It was my like second or third favorite of, of the whole festival. I think people are really going to like it also. It's super playful and funny. It has moments of warmth, but then it's also super violent and callous and heartbreaking. And then you have an excellent cast, John C. Riley, Joaquin Phoenix, Jake Gyllenhaal, Riz Ahmed. Um, I think that it could be a dark horse Oscar contender. I think particularly for Riley, um, maybe even something like adapted screenplay. Um, but I thought this was an excellent movie and it was a big crowd pleaser. Well, I definitely can't wait to talk to you more about it because I'm actually seeing it tomorrow. So I'm hoping I'm hoping for really, really good things from it. But I want to use this now to transition over to the polls and uh, just move along with the show. Hey, everyone. I'm Jason. And I'm Lee. And we are the Atlantic Screen Connection podcast. We look to take a magnifying glass to the films you love with a warm atmosphere and a good laugh. New releases, retrospectives, and absolute classics all reassessed and reviewed. Check out the ASC podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes or keep in the loop on Twitter by following me at film underscore faculty or Lee at Big Pick Reviews. That counts as a promo, right? Right. All right, cool. All right, well, I guess we'll cut here. See you later. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. Let the games begin. This week's poll is asking everyone which is their favorite John C. Riley performance. Oh, wow. So in honor of the Sister Brothers being released this week, we've got uh, the choices are Boogie Nights, Chicago, Cyrus, The Good Girl, Hard Eight, The Hours, Kong Skull Island, the Lobster, Magnolia, The Sisters Brothers, for those who have seen it, Step Brothers, Talladega Nights, Walk Hard, The Dewey Cox Story, We Need to Talk About Kevin, What's Eating Gilbert Grape, Wrecked Ralph, and there was even a write-in option if your choice was not Did listed. Did you have Gangs of New York in there? I do not have Gangs of New York in there. So that would have to be one of the write-in options. Uh, Will, uh, let's actually start off with you then. What is your favorite John C. Riley performance? So Michael is going to kill me for this. I've actually never seen his Oscar-nominated turn in Chicago. You've never what? seen Chicago? I've what? Never oh, my seen... God. Uh-oh. Wow. Well, we're all sad. So I can't comment on that. But I do – it is nice. I hope this poll reminds people that he was a very respected dramatic actor before he ever started doing Will Ferrell comedies and that – it was honestly a surprise when he turned out to be so funny in Talladega Nights. So, but I think I'm going to have to go with probably Magnolia because that was one of the first times we got to see he really works so well as a goofy comedic actor, but he's also still going semi-dramatic. That's a good, that's a good choice. Good call out there. Katie? Oh, totally Chicago. But I do want to say that John C. Riley became apparent to me as a comedic genius in Tim and Eric Awesome Show. Great job when he was Brule's Rule from Brule's Rules. That was, if you've oh, ever seen Dr. it. Oh, is that Dr. C. Brule? Yes. 
Oh if you've my never God. seen it, so many great memes amazing. inspired by that. And the scene where he's getting when he's getting drunk on wine, um, that's actually John C. Riley getting absolutely wasted on wine, and it is perfect, absolutely perfect. But I love him in Chicago. I think he's he's so sad and funny, and he's has one of the best songs, and that isn't you know Cell Block Tango. <laughs> Tom. Uh, this this may be it seemed like a very small role, but the one thing I remember him most for was his Robert the Lisping Man in The Lobster. Yeah, it it had a lot of what you were talking about in terms of Magnolia, in terms of being a, a, a role with a lot of comedy in it. But your heart goes out to this guy because he's trying desperately to find a connection with someone else who has the same characteristics that he does and he's so unique it's really really difficult for him to do it so i would say the lobster all right ryan so i'm i'm not the biggest john c Riley fan i don't know why he's never really appealed to me and I, to be honest i didn't really i don't like many of his performances that were in the poll um i voted for the hours um because that's my favorite movie of all time <laughs> i even in that year like i didn't even like I love Chicago. It's my second to, uh, to the hours that year. And I still think Richard Gere should have gotten the Best Supporting Actor nomination instead of him. So um, I recently watched Boogie Nights um, over the weekend, and he's he's really great in that. I, People too, tell me I but, look like Han Solo. Like, he's the weirdest <laughs> star. Like, I would never watch a, a porn movie with him. But um, <sighs> yeah, so he's good despite being miscast, I would argue. But I don't know. I'm a bad person of reference for John C. Riley. Okay. Michael? <laughs> was it any other choice? Was uh, for you, choice? no. There wasn't. No, he is such a wonderful actor, and I don't think he always gets the recognition that he deserves. I heard him a few years ago on Mark Maron's podcast, and he's just a really thoughtful guy who ends up doing a lot of comedic roles and is remembered for Step Brothers, Talladega Nights, things like that. But he has this really interesting background. I think he studied like mime and is really interested in like the art and comedy and just really interesting guy with a great philosophy. But in Chicago, yes, I think Richard Gere should have been nominated alongside him and won. But there was some category confusion there. Of the nominees that we did get, though, he would be my choice to win because the what he does with that song compared to what it is in the actual Broadway musical, he just adds a whole nother layer to it. And I'm, I was just so impressed by his performance and everything he's done since. So absolutely Amos in Chicago. Okay. Beatrice. So I'm going to cheat a little here and say that my favorite performance of his is in the Sisters Brothers. Um, okay. Not going to say much about it, but it is. You've got me so excited now. <laughs> <laughs> it is a really lovely fusion of his dramatic chops and, you know, the fact that he's a hilarious man. It really mixes all this together, and he's, I would say, the lead in the film, definitely the heart of the film, the eyes through which you see the movie. Is it going to make anyone cry? Maybe. I also have to ask uh, Beatrice, is there any possibility of them uh, category category frauding him into supporting, or is he a definitive lead? Well, he's like a co-lead with Phoenix, so there's definitely the potential for category fraud there. But, I mean, he's, he's the heart of the film. It, it would definitely be category fraud. Yeah. Okay. And last but not least, uh, Jorge. 
Oh, Chicago. I agree with everything everyone said. I love the movie. I love his performance. And I will be the only one to throw him a bone for Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. That is a pretty <laughs> funny movie, and he's great in, in it. The wrong kid died. Dad, it's been 14 years. Wasn't he Golden Globe nominated for that? Yeah, he was. You will not take my monkey. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I'm glad we, we are giving shout-outs to his comedic performances because we're all like, oh, he left doing dramatic... But he is hysterical in Step Brothers, Walk Hard, and Comic Nights. He's so funny. And The Little Hours as Father Tommaso. Oh, he, yeah. That is such yeah. an underappreciated so movie. But he is perfect in it. Everybody's perfect in it, but he really brings it home with that role. You know, I think Step Brothers is such a ridiculous movie, and maybe I'm just viewing it from the lens of seeing it at 13. But the one moment that he has in that movie that gets me is, I think he's the one under the bunk bed when Will Ferrell jumps on it. <laughs> and just his reaction to that. <laughs> oh, I love, what are you doing? I'm burying you. What? Why? <laughs> that would be so funny. All right. Now, looking at last week's poll results, as of today, well, as of last week <laughs> when people voted, which film do you feel is the next Best Picture winner? We asked this right in the heart of everything that was going on with Telluride and Tiff. So gauging everyone's reactions and people f- trying to figure out, all right, based upon what we know, what do we think today is going to win Best Picture? We basically had a runaway winner here with 40% of the vote, over 100 votes for A Star is Born. People think that that film is the next Best Picture winner. The, my question to everyone that's on here right now, is there anybody here that does not feel that that will be the Best Picture winner as of today? Oh, I don't think it's going to be the Best Picture winner. I don't think so either. Me either. I don't think so either. Wow. It's a whole theory thing crashing down. the front runner this early. It's going to get backlash. All right. Well, in second place was Roma with 59 votes. In third place, we had First Man with 33 votes. In fourth place, The Favorite with 24 votes. And then this was a surprise. In fifth place, with 12 votes, uh, we have Black Klansmen. I'm not surprised. A lot of people are still really, really into that one. And, you know, it, it came out before the onslaught of all the best picture contenders, which could hurt it, but could also help it stand out. So I don't I'm think not going to win, but it, I think but it's pretty solidly in there. I do too. Yeah, I think there's an intensity factor there that will help it get, th- get into the final group. So before the month of September ends, we are actually gearing up for our throwback review, which is tied to the release of The Old Man and the Gun, and that is going to be a ghost story. Uh, we have now come to the halfway point in the month of September where we now know which film is going to influence our throwback review for October. So with all October releases, uh, the choices were First Man, Halloween, A Star is Born, Suspiria, and Venom. So, the votes were tallied. In last place, with 13 votes, Venom. In fourth place, with 55 votes, we have First Man. In third place, with 56 votes, we have Suspiria. In second place, with 58 votes, we have Halloween. And with 104 votes, A Star is Born will be our influence for our throwback review for the month of October. Now, this was very interesting because 
five choices were put up here now for which film will be our next podcast review, and they cannot be films that were nominated for last uh, for Best Picture. That's what the last Best Picture series review is for, and that is still an ongoing poll until the end of the month. So the choices that are somehow, in a weird way, kind of tied to A Star is Born that we have put up for everyone to choose, the nominees are Crazy Heart, The Hangover, A Star is Born from 1954, A Star is Born from 1976, and Walk the Line. Okay, I'm going to be so disappointed if The Hangover ends up winning over the 54 stars. That, yeah, you should have put that in there, man. Our, our, our listeners are going to take the easy route. Uh, we don't know that. Maybe they'll surprise us. What, do you all think that they're all going to just cor- correlate behind The Hangover? Really? It's like, why would we even put that in consideration? What? Okay, tell me what else you would have put in there. The 37 star is born. It was nominated for Best Picture. Oh, I forgot about that. Okay. Well, then, I don't know. Machete New, kills. New York, New York. There you go. Machete kills. You want to listen? This is supposed to be a competitive poll, okay, with a degree of difficulty for people to choose for. So, I mean, you know. And if we had the movie here, New York, New York over the hangover. Believe me when I tell you, I'm not trying to skew the poll towards one way or another. I'm just simply trying to present a wide array of options for people to choose from. I think Walk the Line stands a good chance against The Hangover. Yeah, I actually do too. What I like about New York, New York, it has a similar kind of story with one guy on the, one guy going down and one one singer on the rise. Absolutely, and I feel like that movie gets a really bad reputation when it's actually, you know, not a perfect film, but it certainly has a lot going for it. So, all right, then let's. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what. Let's take a vote. Okay, all in favor of replacing The Hangover with New York, New York, say aye. 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 Okay. That was fast. All right. I take it back. There we go. All the same theme now. I'm typing it in as we speak. And that poll will go up Monday. So we'll have to wait and see what happens there now in regards to that. It's, yeah, I, I have to say, you're right. In terms of the theme, it does actually make it maybe a bit more now interesting at this point. So, hey, good on all of you. Thank you so much. We are a true democracy here at Next Best Picture. <laughs> everybody's voice is heard. And speaking of everybody's voice being heard, we do have some fan questions that came in uh, for this episode that everybody wants to hear us answer. Uh, we have three. So let's hear what the questions for this week are. Uh, first, from Josh Blumenkrantz at McBlooster on Twitter. Which actor is surprising you based on the reactions out of TIFF? So actor or actress, uh, who got a response that surprised you the most? Good surprise or bad surprise? Uh, it doesn't say. I'm going to say Julia Roberts for Ben is Back, even if she's not a huge, huge contender, just because you know, we didn't really know what to make of the movie, and everyone's saying, oh, it's the best she's been since, like, Closer. So I'd say bad surprise with Hugh Jackman. I was just so disappointed with the reviews because I had such hopes. I was, I was kind of surprised that neither – um, Timothy nor, nor Lucas Hedges are kind of like at the front. You know, it seems like like they had their opening kind of Jennifer Lawrence opening salvo, and they they would be primed for a win if they did something that knocked it out of the park. And I was surprised that I don't think that, I don't think that's going to happen. Okay, uh, next question here. This one comes from Kevin underscore Jacobson on Twitter. Do you think any movie in the last twenty years or so has ever come close to earning? a Best Picture nomination and nothing else. Wonder Woman being one likely example. 
We had a lengthy debate about this in the group chat the other week. And I think we can say that under the old voting system that would have favored more films like Skyfall and District 9, you know, that we no longer have, I absolutely think Wonder Woman could have done it just because you had 10 spots. And the reason something like The Blind Side got in is a lot of people put it at like their number nine or 10, and that worked out. And I think given the campaign they ran for Wonder Woman, the amount of the number of guilds it showed up in, I think it would be a sum of its whole parts movies. And I think it would have gotten in for that 10th slot. I, you know, and I also, you know, I think there's a chance that Deadpool could have done it too, as weird a nominee as that would have been when it gets the DGA first time director nomination, the ACE, the WGA, the PGA, if it were any movie that were not Deadpool and it got all of those awards plus Golden Globe for best picture and best actor, you'd be like, yeah, of course it, uh, you know, of course it would be in contention, but because it's Deadpool, people are like, no, I think both of those had the precursors on the old system to get in despite not getting nominations anywhere else. I have one that comes from the old, old system back to when there were five nominees. And it's actually just about to turn 20, so right under the wire here. And of all the movies, it's going to sound a little strange, but it's a Waking Ned Divine. I agree. Didn't it win the SAG Ensemble? I know it did very well at SAG. I forget if it won, but it was also a PGA nominee back in the year of five. Yeah, and that was like the the huge Sundance uh, jury prize winner that year. That film was beloved. Hmm. Yeah, I'm going to do some research about a fifth one SAG Ensemble. What about Hairspray? Mm. Hairspray didn't get PGA. It got the SAG nomination, and I, I think it needed a little bit more to get closer to Oscar. It was probably in the mix, though. It's funny, because all the films I keep thinking of in my head, they did get nominated elsewhere. Um, so it's it's actually it, this is actually a harder question than, uh, than it lets on at first. Yeah, okay, Waking Ned got a nomination at SAG, but lost Shakespeare in Love. Ah, gotcha. Oh, of course. So... There we go. You know, I, I think maybe one. I don't know. Do we think like maybe something like Inside Man? No, that was not also that really year. early released. It was like March of two thousand six. Sure. And and also, uh, it, if it hadn't been, you know, if Dreamgirls was like right outside for number six there. Yeah, yeah. If the other five hadn't gotten in. It's really tough to think of a movie that did not get a single nomination, but if it had gotten only one, it would have been Best Picture. That's that's oof. That's really rough. It's a good question, though. Yeah, very much so. Thank you, Kevin. Oh, I, I think if we, I think if we had kept the system in two thousand nine, two thousand ten, we would have gotten it eventually. I mean, I mean, honestly, if it weren't for that song, Selma would have done it too. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Uh, the post, maybe even. Uh, although Meryl was was a more sure thing than picture, I would argue. Okay, so then uh, last question, Jorge. This has uh, this is a question that maybe you can weigh in on a little bit too. Uh, this one comes from Josh from Indy on Twitter. What do you think about the Oscar potential for Weavy Animals? I saw it this week and I thought it was absolutely fantastic, but I also don't feel like I've heard anyone talk about it outside of Matt. <laughs> what might be its best chance at a nomination? Matt, you tricked me into this one back in January when you were at Sundance. I remember you saying, oh, this is like the real deal. It's a great movie. It's going to be a big factor. And then it just sort of was quietly released in August, and we've heard nothing. Well, I think they, I think they, The Orchard uh, 
you know, and I hate to throw them on, under the bus with this, but I do believe that their release strategy for this really did kill it. And if it had been maybe released a little bit later, uh, we could be talking about it in a different way. But I don't know. I still stand behind that it's one of the best movies I've seen this year so far. Yeah, I mean, it's good, but I don't, I don't think that's, that movie's in the conversation. I think that the release strategy and the I this is kind of fallen on, on by the wayside. Unfortunately, yeah. I mean, I hope people see it. My best hope for it was that it would be a uh, Beast of the Southern Wild type of, you know, uh, contender. But the interesting question just, is, is Sundance not going to have a Best Picture nominee this year? It looks like that's where we're heading. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that, you know, so, certain things like eighth grade could pop up and, you know, maybe screenplay. Um, but as far as Best Picture nominee is concerned, mm, not feeling it this year. So, yeah. And, and with, uh, you know, the date uh, moving to where it is now with the Oscars and uh, Sundance, like I said, occurring during that time, it, it's just going to be very, very interesting to see how the perspective of it, of it all changes. So we shall wait and see. Uh, with that said, uh, we are pretty much at the end of this episode here. We were supposed to uh, talk about the trailer for the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, um, you know, but we're, we're running out of time here. Uh, suffice to say, I'm looking forward to it. I'm seeing it over at NYFF. Jorge, I believe you are as well. Yeah. Will I see you this week at, at any of the screenings? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So it starts tomorrow. I'm going to see Her Smell uh, tomorrow. Oh, okay. I'll see you there. Yeah. Yeah. So I have that. I have, I think, Burning and uh, a few others. I mean, it's it's very scattered. It's a, As far as programming and times and schedules go, it's, it's absolutely terrible. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. Uh, but I'll, you know, I'm, I'm making it work, uh, somehow, some way. So um, I'm just happy. I'll, I'm going to finally get to see the favorite. That's, that's yeah. the big, the big one for me. The big win. Are you going to the press screening or are you going to the, the public screening? I'm going to the public premiere, uh, okay. because I could not get off from work for the press screening. Uh, but so I, I paid over a hundred dollars <laughs> for a ticket for that. <laughs> I'm going to be, it sucks. That I'm going to be out of town for the press screening. And I, I actually, I would go to the public screening. I like supporting the film festival. But I, I, they're, they're now sold out, so I'm just going to have to wait to the, the awards screenings to see it again. But I can't wait to see that movie again. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll have some more to weigh in on uh, on next week's episode after I get back from that over the next couple of weeks. And there's definitely some more other films releasing to look forward to. And as always, uh, come over to Next Best Picture for all of your award season coverage. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to us this week. Jorge, tell everyone where they can find you on the Internet. On Twitter at J. Don Burnham. And thank you so much for joining us this week. We really appreciated having you on. Beatrice, where can they find you on Twitter? Find me at BeansproutBia. Katie Schaefer? You can find me at KT underscore Schaefer. Tom O'Brien? You can find me on Twitter at at Thomas E. O'Brien. Ryan C. Showers? At Ryan C. Showers. Michael Schwartz? On Twitter at Mike Movie. And Will Mavity? You can find me on Twitter, bro. What's up, Mavic's Movies? You trying to do Gollum? What? Jar Jar? <laughs> Mavericks movies. A love child between Gollum and Jar Jar. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to quote Avatar to say, that is a potent mix. <sighs> All right. <laughs> With that said, everyone, you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much for listening to us here on the Next Best Picture podcast, episode 108. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, CastBox, and also on Acast. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think of the show. Also, if you are feeling so inclined, head on over to our Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you can get some exclusive podcast content, some of which we discussed earlier in this episode as well. Thank you so much for listening. We shall see you all next time.
Oi. Did you say oi, Michael? Oi, vey. <laughs>